Man, awesome, awesome. So good to be in the presence of God and in the house of God with you this morning. This morning we are in a series called Fresh Start, and we, this is week three. And if you missed the first couple weeks, I do encourage you to, to go back and listen, particularly if this is something that is uh, needed in your life. And we all need it from time to time, but some of us need it more than others. And I just want to give you a brief overview why we are doing this series. And uh, I started in week one talking about how much God values us and loves us and, and always has a fresh start and a do-over available for you, no matter where you're at, how far you have fallen. Uh, God always is ready, like the story of the prodigal son, always ready to bring you back in to forgiveness and right relationship with him and help you start fresh from wherever you're at no matter how big of a mess you have made now what I differentiated and the point that we made was you don't always get that fresh start with man but you always can have it with God meaning sometimes we've done things in our life we've made a mess of things through really bad decisions through sin, through disobedience, we've made a mess of things, which is why God cautions us so strongly against sin in the first place. And sometimes those things are irreparable with man. They're never irreparable with God. And it's important that you differentiate that because sometimes people package the things together and they think, well, when I repent and get things right with God, you know, he's going to just fix all this other stuff too. Uh, can I just tell you, not always. It doesn't always happen like that. Uh, sometimes that marriage will never be restored. Sometimes that relationship will never be restored. It doesn't always happen like that. Sometimes our sin is so devastating that th that will never be fixed, and you'll never get a fresh start with that exact person or that exact situation. Praise God for His goodness. Sometimes we do. Sometimes we do. Sometimes relationships are healed. Sometimes marriages are healed. Sometimes situations are healed. It's, it's an amazing thing what God can do. I've seen him do some pretty amazing things. But it doesn't always happen like that. But, but that really is not the most important thing. The most important thing is, can I have a fresh start with God? Can I have a do-over with God? Can I receive forgiveness from God? And from no matter how far I've fallen, can I, can I get back on track and start today sowing fresh and good seeds in the right direction? Yes, you can. You always can. God's arms are already always open and ready for that. And this series is to kind of guide us through that for some of those that might be in that situation walking this out. And we talked about the first step being repentance. This is the first step and and the most crucial step is to find yourself in a place of true godly sorrow over the sin that you have committed and over the the mess that you've made the disobedience the rebellion the pride that you've had in your life that's led you to the place that you're at to begin there with repentance and by the way you might be thinking well I'm in a situation that needs a fresh start but it's none of my doing and I, I didn't have anything to do with it. Let me just, let me just tell you this. That, that could be true and probably is true for many people. But listen, I, I want you to know that this message is for you too. This message is for you too. Because one of the things I have found 
is that no matter what situation I find myself in, there's usually something that I need to repent of as well. Not always. Now, if you're super self-righteous this morning, I know you. Not me. I'm, I had no part. Well, I've learned that I always have a part, just about it. Always have a part, just about it. And there's something that I always could have done or should have done differently, and I can still repent. But particularly this message today is going to be for you. So you're kind, we have two different people that might be coming at needing a fresh start. You have the person who's made a mess of everything, and then you have a person who might be the victim of somebody who's made a mess of everything. And I would say this message today is for both, because today, after we've repented, the next thing that we move on to is reconciliation. Now, reconciliation has more to do with you and you and man than it does you and God because through repentance we are reconciled to God so repentance has more to do with God but reconciliation has more to do with your human relationships your natural relationships and here's what I mean I really need forgiveness from God right that that's crucial because that deals with my eternity but I don't actually have to have forgiveness from man and you won't always get forgiveness from man you can repent you could apologize, you could cry, you could weep. Sometimes that person may withhold forgiveness from you, and you don't have any control over that. But guess what? God will never withhold forgiveness from you. You can always find forgiveness with God. So repentance and forgiveness have more to do with God. I need repentance and forgiveness more than I do uh, with God than I do with man. And through that process, I'm reconciled to God, meaning the relationship is healed and restored. But when we talk about reconciliation today, now we're going to deal with our relationship with man. How do we become reconciled with man, at least as much as it has to do with us? I don't know if you've noticed how many movies that this, this plays like some sort of part in it. I was thinking about this uh, as I was preparing this sermon because I had just watched a movie where there was a guy that uh, hadn't talked to his son or something like that in, in years. And in this particular movie, he went to make the phone call. And while he was making the phone call to finally, like after years, have this conversation with his son, uh, his son had like a tragic accident and died and he never got to do that reconciliation. I know that, that wasn't very, it wasn't a very good, you know, like feel good, warm, feel good movie. But then I started thinking about, man, how many times is this a theme in movies? And I was thinking about Home Alone. You know, Christmas is coming up. I love, we like the Home Alone movies. And you remember in Home Alone, the guy with the snow shovel? Like, that's his story, right? He, he had some kind of breach with his son. I can't remember it all now. I think the end of the movie shows them, like, all happy, and, like, they finally talked. And if only it were that simple. I, I wish it were that simple. It doesn't always work out quite like that. But even in the second Home Alone, you remember the crazy bird lady in New York? Same thing. He, he, you know, Macaulay Culkin, like the greatest family therapist, counselor ever, he's talking to her up in the church, and he's like explaining to her that she should reach out to her family. There's some breach there. I don't remember what it was, you know, and it, anyway, I always found that funny. This lady's it's got this lady talking to this 10-year-old kid, and he's like walking her through how to heal, you know, but whatever. But it's, you find this theme in movies a lot, and I, I pay attention to that because most movies come from an unsaved perspective. Most, most movies come out of an unregenerated heart. 
comes out of a sinful heart. So I pay attention because it, it tells me like this is on people's mind. They, they know, even without being saved, they know that this, these unreconciled relationships are bad. They're not good. They're, and, and, and like it hurts and it causes lasting pain. And even 10 years after the dad is still talking, I haven't talked to my son in 10 years. And even from an unregenerate standpoint, they know this is a bad thing. But from a Christian perspective, it's bigger than, oh, it just doesn't feel good. Because what we have to bring into the picture is how God thinks about it. And how does God feel when there is a relationship in your life where there's a breach, where there's a rift, where there is brokenness? How does God feel about it? And particularly, how does he feel about it when that, that brokenness is on your end as a believer and as a Christian? When you are the one that is withholding withholding reconciliation. So we're going to start today in Matthew chapter 5, verse 21. And I want to preface with this, okay? I want to get this out of the way. Um, and and you gotta, if you're going to be in church for any amount of time, you've got to understand that when we talk on subjects, we have usually, you know, 45 minutes to an hour, somewhere in there. And you can never cover every single thing that needs to be covered on that topic. That's usually why I teach series on it because there's always going to be stuff that comes up. Well, what about this? What about that? Well, if you come every week, you probably hear your answer to that. But I'm going to at least preface and say this, that not every relationship could or should be reconciled. You got, you got to start there and understand that, okay? When we're talking about reconciliation, it requires an extreme amount of wisdom to know if the relationship can be reconciled, should it be reconciled, and the timing of when it should be reconciled. This is not something that you should attempt unendingly. Okay, I will also say there are dangerous, harmful, abusive, manipulative people that you don't need to try to reconcile with. That, that's not what this is. You don't need to have like an abusive ex-partner that, and you're trying to like reconcile the kids with them. No, no, that's not what we're talking about, okay? So there are exceptions to what we're going to be talking about this morning. Also, timing, crucial. You know, if you're in a marriage situation where maybe you're separated, you've been, you've been the, the relationship is hurting and you're out, they may not be ready to talk to you. They not be, it's not time to reconcile yet. You haven't even reached that point. You're skipping repentance. You're skipping healing. You're skipping all those first parts. So you don't get to jump straight to, oh, I'm ready to reconcile. No, we haven't done any of the work yet. Okay? So timing is crucial. If you're on the other end where you're the victim, so to speak. God, I hate that word. Man, that felt weird coming out of my mouth. I don't even like to use that word. Sound like a cuss word coming out. But anyway... Uh, if you're the one who's, who's, who's been hurt, okay, yeah, maybe you're not ready to reconcile yet. Maybe you love that person, you've forgiven them at a distance. You love them at a distance, but you're like, I'm not ready to have them back in my life just yet because they, I feel like they're unsafe. I feel like I can't trust them yet. That's okay, too. But in the order of things and in the proper timing, God is going to begin to talk to you about reconciliation. He's not going to allow you to just stay in a permanent place of being unreconciled with people in your life that you need to be reconciled to. So just know that's coming. It might not be tomorrow. It might not be next week. It might not be next year. But it's going to be a step 
in the process. Matthew chapter 5, verse 21. This is what Jesus said. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will, will be liable to judgment. Now, if you're like me, you hear this, most people think, well, hold, 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 hold on a minute. I thought we were talking about murder. How did we jump to being angry? Like, are you trying, is he saying that these things are on the same level? Is he saying these things are comparable in some way? Should they even be mentioned in the same sentence? Because we were just talking about murdering someone, which all the holy Christians in the place go, oh, I would never murder anyone. Well, then Jesus jumped straight to, yeah, you heard that said, that this was really important. You shall not murder, because if you murder, you'll be liable to judgment. But look, I'm saying to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Is Jesus saying that murdering someone and being angry with someone is going to have the same consequence? Because that, because he mentions that they're both liable to judgment. Is he saying that that's going to have the same, the same punishment? Well, let's keep reading. He says, whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says, you fool, uh-oh, will be liable to the hell of fire. So I read this and I go, hold on a sec. What, what in the world are we talking about here? Because we went from talking about murder, which is one of the worst things, you know, one of the worst crimes you can commit, to now saying you're, not, you're, you're also going to be liable to judgment for being angry. Just That's an internal thing. That doesn't mean you even did anything out, outwardly yet. You're going, to be, you're going to be liable for being angry. You're going to be liable for your words when you insult your brother. And then he says, if you say you fool to somebody. How many of you guys, don't raise your hand. This is going to be painful. Lord, help us. How many of you been watching TV or, or driving and you saw a group or a person or you heard a certain way of thinking and you said, those people are idiots. Look. I don't know if Jesus knew the word idiot. He said fool. I, I don't think anybody was sitting in their living room and said, you fool. No, they didn't say that. But they, they said, those people are morons. They are idiots. Listen, here's what Jesus is trying to say. That's coming out of somewhere. That, that is, that, that's coming out of your heart. And I, I, I do not stand up here as one holier than thou in these things. Okay? I need lots of repentance in this area. Uh, but... <laughs> but here's if you really look up this word you fool what it the word there means worthless and what what he's saying is if you look at another human being if if you can look at another human being i don't care how different they are than you i don't care how opposite they are than you i don't care how scum of the earth you think they are if you can look at another human being and say you have no worth you are worthless he said, what he's saying is there's no way that the love of God can abide in that heart. A heart that is full of the love of God cannot look at another human being that God created and hopes for salvation for that person and say, you have no worth. You are worthless. Now, I understand we lose perspective at times and we get in the flesh and we say things. But if you look at what Jesus is saying here, and this is kind of what I take from it. He's saying that all of these things are connected. 
Don't separate and act like murder is this all separate thing. He's saying it's a, all murder began somewhere. And it began on a scale that you're slowly moving this direction. And what he's saying is it begins with anger. And then it begins to where you're saying this over somebody. You're calling them an idiot, worthless. And you're, you're letting that anger build in your heart until eventually the, the end result of that, the fruit of that is murder. Now, you may never let it get to that point, but what Jesus also tells us is that if it's in your heart, in other words, if I could murder that person and not go to prison for the rest of my life, if I could murder that person and not any single person would ever know about it and it would never be found out, he said, if that's how you feel, it's the same. It's the same as if you did it. Then he goes on the same track with what? Adultery, sexual immorality. He goes on down the lane. He says, it's not, you don't have to do the thing. It starts in your, in your heart, and, it, and then it works its way out. Okay, so we got all that, but let's keep going. Verse 23. So he's still talking about this issue of our relationships with other people. If you're angry with your brother, if you insult your brother, if you're calling people idiots. Verse 23. So if you are offering your gift at the altar. Let me put that for modern day language. So if you're worshiping in church on Sunday. If you're, if you're sitting in church, giving your tithes and offering, worshiping, listening to the Word of God, like a good Christian. If you are at church on Sunday and there you remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift at the altar and go first be reconciled. Everybody say reconciled. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Here's what I learned from this scripture that my relationship with man or lack thereof affects my relationship with God. And this is what he's telling you. He's saying, listen, don't think that it's okay to come to church and you've got all kinds of unforgiveness and breaches and brokenness in these relationships out here. Don't think you're going to come to church like that and we are going to have perfect fellowship and perfect relationship but you're walking in unforgiveness and anger and there's all kinds of problems out here. He said that's not how it works. Because if you have those things in your heart, he said that's what I'm going to want to talk to you about. And I have found this out so many times with God where I, I've got something going on in my life. It could be a frustration. It could be an aggravate. It could be the way I talk. could be the way I acted about something. could be the way somebody acted towards me. And I get up like in my prayer routine in the morning like I do, and I go to the Lord, and I'm ready to worship and pray, and it's like there's an iron ceiling. And all my prayers are just hitting the ceiling and, and nothing. And I go, come on, Lord, where are you at this morning? Let me, i got to press in a little bit harder, you know, so I turn the worship music up a little bit louder. I elevate my voice a little more. I start praying a little harder, you know. I just got to press through my flesh this morning. Nothing. And then somewhere deep down in that quiet, still voice, he says, that's not what I want to talk about this morning. I have something else I want to talk to you about. And immediately it goes to that. The way you acted, the way you said, the way you talked, your feelings toward this, we're going to deal with that this morning before we're going to deal with any of this. You know this is a biblical principle. Now pay attention to what he says here. He says, because if you're in worship, if you're in church, okay, 
He doesn't say, look, look, look at verse 23 again. He doesn't say, if you're offering your gift to the altar and remember that you have something against someone else. He says, he doesn't say if you're at the church worshiping and you realize that you have unforgiveness towards someone else. That would certainly apply too. But that's not what he says. He says, if you're in worship and you realize that someone else has unforgiveness against you. Now, that's a totally different thing because what I think most of us would say on that is, I'm not responsible for that. I'm not responsible if somebody's mad at me. I'm not responsible if someone has unforgiveness in me. I can't do anything about that. That's the opposite of what he says right here. He says, if you're in worship and it comes to your mind that there's a relationship in your life that's broken or, or in division or there's unforgiveness or pain in that relationship, he said, I don't care who's at fault. I want it resolved. I don't care if it was you. I don't care if it was the other person. If there's a relationship in your life that ought to be reconciled and you come to worship and you think that we're just going to worship and pretend like everything's okay, he said, it's not okay. God, he connects these things in Scripture so many times. Look, what about in 1 John where he says, do you think you're going to say that you love God whom you cannot see, but you, you don't love your brother whom you do see? He said, you're deceiving yourself. What about in 1 Peter? He tells husbands, he says, husbands, honor, honor your wives so that your prayers be not hindered. What does that tell us? There's a connection between how I treat human beings and my relationship with human beings. There's a connection between that and my relationship with God. I don't get to treat my wife like garbage, but then go before the Heavenly Father and like everything's fine and hunky-dory. He said, if that happens, what I'm going to want to do is I'm going to want to talk to you first about your relationships out here because we are called to be like our Heavenly Father. This is number one. We're called to be like our Heavenly Father who sends rain on the just and the unjust, right? We're called to be like our Heavenly Father whose mercy is new every morning, who forgives over and over and again. Who Jesus told Peter, how many times do you got to forgive? Seven? No, 70 times. Seven in one day. We're called to be like our Heavenly Father. That's the first issue. The second issue is, there is this, you know, we talk about irreconcilable differences when it comes to marriage, right? Well, we're getting a divorce because we have irreconcilable differences. Well, let me talk to you about one irreconcilable difference between you and God. If this is something in your life that is there and it is present, it is an irreconcilable difference between you and God. You're going to always be at odds with God, and it is this issue, unforgiveness. You cannot be a person who receives, wants, and needs unlimited forgiveness, but then you have limits on your forgiveness with other people. It doesn't work like that. Boy, I'm telling you, I'm preaching good this morning. Glory to God. Amen. No, I'm just kidding. That's okay. Y'all can be half asleep. Maybe you're crying. That's the problem. I don't know. Jesus, help us this morning, Lord. You cannot have, you cannot want and need unlimited forgiveness for your own life, but then you have limits on your forgiveness with your fellow man. This is an irreconcilable difference between you and God in Scripture. You see it over and over again. He says, with the same cup. He was talking about forgiveness when he said this. With the same cup that you heap 
judgment and that you withhold unforgiveness, he said, it's the same way it's going to be done back to you. So the God that we serve requires mercy, forgiveness, reconciliation. Why? Because that's the whole gospel message. The whole gospel message is mercy, forgiveness, and reconciliation. And so you can't be a participant in that gospel and a receiver of that gospel, but then you're withholding it from other people. So this is an irreconcilable difference. So that's why he says, if you're offering your gift at the altar, you're at church worshiping, acting like everything's fine, but then you remember that someone else has something against you. Why does he care? Why does he care about that? Why would, he, why would he care about how somebody else has unforgiveness? You're not even the one that has unforgiveness. Why would he care? Because let me tell you why. He cares about that person. And he knows <coughs> that this will be the thing that destroys their life. So he says, if you're here and you remember there's somebody else and you have anything to do with reconciling, you have anything to do with healing that relationship, he said, you might as well leave church and go solve that. He said, because, and the reason he cares is because that person will never move forward with God until they learn to find forgiveness in their heart. I also want to pause here and say that forgiveness is not the same thing as being buddy-buddy. Forgiveness is not the same thing as being best friends. Forgiveness is not the same thing as going back to everything the way it used to be. Forgiveness is not going where we talk on the phone and text and everything. That's not the same thing. Forgiveness is when I release you completely from everything that you've done, from all penalty, all guilt, all condemnation of it. You are released, and I'm holding absolutely nothing against you. It doesn't mean, I'm, it doesn't mean that I have to be a fool and let you back into my life to hurt me again. It doesn't mean that. It doesn't mean I've got to let you around my kids if you hurt my kids somehow. It doesn't mean that. Doesn't mean you got to, you get to be restored back to your previous place. Doesn't mean any of that. It just means I release you. You're completely pardoned. I, I hold nothing against you because God holds nothing against me. So apparently, and this is a revelation for a lot of people, but apparently I'm responsible to make sure that you are not in offense against me which is a whole different approach. So he says, if, if you're there and you remember somebody has something against you, you remember there's a breach in the relationship, he said, you need to go solve that. Listen, you can't always do it, right? I mean, in other words, you, you may try to go to the person. You may apologize. You may repent. They don't return your calls. They don't return. I don't want to see you again. I don't ever want to talk to you again. You can't do anything about that, although you do still have a responsibility with that too. Because Jesus said to pray for your enemies. To pray for those that, that, we're, that are in breach. So you can at least pray for them. But you can't always reconcile. Here's what Romans 12, 18 says. It says, if possible. Meaning what? It's not always possible. If possible. So far as it depends on you. Live peaceably with all. Okay. If possible, meaning not always possible. And so far as it depends on you, meaning I'm ready to reconcile. I'm ready to show mercy, forgiveness. I, I'm ready to heal this breach. But it doesn't, but reconciliation takes 
more than one person. True reconciliation takes more than one person. Forgiveness takes one person. I can forgive you whether you repent or not. I can, I can forgive you whether, you whether you apologize or not. That's my choice. I don't have to have an apology to forgive and to release you. But to reconcile, that takes two people. So, so, so forgiveness takes one, but reconciliation takes two. It takes both, both parties. But here's what he said. If possible, as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Now, I want to move into a little bit different um, version of this because reconciliation, repentance is good, but there's another step to this sometimes. Not always, but sometimes there is another step to this which Scripture calls restitution. This is a step beyond reconciliation. Restitution is where there is some form of repayment for the things that you have done. Keep in mind, this is not a repayment to God. Okay, With God, you repent and the forgiveness is, is free. So you're not, you're not paying restitution to receive forgiveness with God. You're not even paying restitution to receive forgiveness from man. You're paying restitution to them because it's the right thing to do. You broke something, you took something, you damaged something, and you, as a responsible, mature adult and Christian, should pay that back. And this is a scriptural principle. See, because we focus so much on forgiveness and, and free grace and all of that, we sometimes skip over this part. We think, oh, I don't, I don't, I don't owe anybody anything. Did you know that's actually not scriptural, not biblical? The Bible tells us that actually we, there are times where we actually should, there are times that we actually should make restitution. So reconciliation is usually uh, a process, but it, it's, you know, it's not going to happen with just one interaction, but, reconcil- but restitution is something that you can do, you can do quickly. Exodus chapter 22, verse 1. Let's look at this. These are from the, from the Old Testament. It says, If a man steals an ox or a sheep and kills it or sells it, he shall repay five oxen for an ox and four sheep for a sheep. Now, I don't know why oxen are worth more than sheep. I feel bad for the sheep. You know that says they're less valuable, but that's how God sees it. Five oxen for one ox, four sheep for a sheep. So it's not enough for the person to just repent. Do you understand? He says, he's not just kind of, he can't just repent before God and he can't just go to the man and say, hey, I'm really sorry (laughs) that I stole your ox and your sheep. He says, no, that's great. But now you need to actually pay it back. And when you pay it back, you don't just pay back what you took. He said you pay it back five times what you took. I told y'all this was going to be fun. I don't know. Y'all not having fun this morning, I guess. But I'm having a great time up here. Verse 4. Keep reading. Verse 4. 
If the stolen beast is found alive in his possession, whether it is an ox or a donkey or a sheep, he shall pay double. So if the ox wasn't lost and he's able to just give it back, so technically there's nothing lost there, then you only have to pay double, but you still have to pay restitution. Verse 5, if a man causes a field or vineyard to be grazed over, or lets his beast loose and it feeds in another man's field, he shall make restitution from the best in his own field and in his own vineyard. Now see, here we're just talking about a mistake. This wasn't even on purpose. You have an ox, and it got out because you didn't take care of your fences, and it goes over to the neighbor's house, and, and it, eats, it eats the best of their field. Do you get to just apologize? No. You take from your field the best, he said, the best of your field, and you give it to them. See, as I'm talking about this, I'm remembering a scenario that I need to pay restitution. Because I had some goats at my house, and they got out and went and ate my neighbor's tulips or something like that, and I never did. I just apologize. I never did go back and pay for that. I need to do that. I'm just remembering that now. It's just coming to me now. But that little goat, Mabel, she's no longer with us. Bless her soul, Lord Jesus, help her. You know, but poor Mabel. But, see, in this case, it's just an accident. But look, maturity, true maturity, what do we look for in our children when we're looking for maturity? Responsibility and ownership. I want to see, are you responsible and can you take ownership of what you did? If you're not responsible and you blame other people and you never take ownership for what you do, I know you still haven't matured yet. You're still a child. Okay? But when you're ready to take responsibility for your actions and for your stuff and, and for other people's stuff, if you damage it, now we're seeing true maturity in your life. You know, one of the ways you can see true maturity in a child's life is when their parents offer to pay for something and they say, no, 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 I, I got this. Why? Because there comes a point with maturity, they say, I don't want anybody else paying my way all the time. I want to pay for my own stuff because I'm maturing into an adult. Yeah, I see some teenagers over there smiling. Yeah, it's time. I'm picking on Daniel this morning. But see, in this instance, again, it, this wasn't intentional, but it doesn't absolve you of the responsibility. You're, you're, you, 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 know, you didn't take care of your fence. The ox got out. It's not the other guy's fault. He's not the one supposed to eat it. Right? This was, this was your responsibility. Who, so who's going to pay? Who's going to take care of it? Is he supposed to just out of the kindness of his heart say, oh, don't worry about it? No, he's still out. So God says it's your responsibility to cover that at your own expense. It should cost you something. This was your mistake. This is biblical thinking. Don't worry about how the world sees it. Don't worry about how your culture sees it. I want to know how God sees it. Okay? So he said this is your fault. And you need to make restitution. Verse 6, if fire breaks out. Boy, this one hits close to home. We're on a burn band, been on a burn band. You know, you're raking leaves in your backyard. And a little flame gets out and goes over to the neighbor's yard. Guess what? You're responsible. Verse 6, if fire breaks out and catches in thorns, so that the stacked grain or the standing grain or the field is consumed, he who started the fire shall make full restitution. In this case, you don't pay double or triple or quadruple because it was an accident. 
you just pay back what you, what you lost. Well, see, God a lot of common sense laws and rules in the Bible. Leviticus 6.4, if he has sinned and has realized his guilt and will restore what he took by robbery or what he got by oppression or the deposit that was committed to him or the lost thing that he found or anything about which he has sworn falsely, he shall restore it in full and add a fifth to it and give it to him to whom it belongs on the day he realizes his guilt. Now, what this is talking about in Leviticus is sort of, again, where we're in worship and we realize something. And this ought to happen, by the way, when you're at church. He's talking about when you're, when you're in the temple, or, or in this case, the tabernacle, and you, you're in worship, you're offering a sacrifice, and something comes to your mind, and you realize your guilt over something. He said, you need to go back. It's, don't just repent. You need to go back and pay restitution. Now, just in case you think, well, yeah, this is a lot of Old Testament stuff. Let's read one from the New Testament, too. This is Luke chapter 19, verse 1. And this is the story of Zacchaeus. He entered Jericho, this Jesus, he entered Jericho and was passing through, and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. For those of you that know anything about tax collectors, you know that these were the most vile, these people were hated so much, and the reason they were hated is because they extorted people of their money. The Romans gave them authority and power to collect taxes for them, but then they could take more taxes on top of that and keep it for themselves. And so it was, people hated them. And he was a tax collector. And he'd become rich as a tax collector. He was chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up in a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down, received him joyfully. When they saw it, they all grumbled. He is going to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he is also a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save that which was lost. Now, I don't believe that restitution in this case, I don't believe that it in any way purchased Zacchaeus' salvation. That's not what we're talking about here. I believe that he received salvation. But from the place of salvation, from, from the place of a born-again heart that is repentant and humbled and broken over their sin, this came up out of his own heart. He said, he, for the first time, he is seeing what he's done. He's seeing the pain that he's caused. He's seeing it and he goes, what's more valuable to me is that these people get back to them what I took. That's more valuable than me keeping it for myself. So he said, I'm giving half of it away, and I'm going to repay fourfold to anybody that I, that, I, that I defrauded. How many of you know that required a huge sacrifice for Zacchaeus? That required a, probably a change in his standard of living. That probably required him selling some stuff, getting rid of some stuff, losing influence and status. 
as a rich man. That required a massive change and inconvenience to his life, but you know what? He was responsible. He was responsible to, to pay those people back for what he had done. And so he took it upon himself and he did it. And when Jesus saw it, what did Jesus go? Oh, no, 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 that's not necessary, Zacchaeus. That's not necessary. No, when he saw it, because he was looking at the fruit, he said, wow, salvation has come to this man's life. True salvation has come to this man's life. Based on what? Based on the fruit that he saw in that man's life. So it's, it's good to reconcile but sometimes part of reconciliation is also restitution. Sometimes part of reconciliation is going to the person and saying, listen, this is how I hurt you. This is what I took. This is what I've done. This is where I've been wrong. And, I, and thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for, all, for offering your forgiveness. But I want to do that. They may even say, oh, no, no, that's not necessary. You say, I know it's not necessary, but this is what I'm doing because I'm accountable to God, this is what I want to do, this is my choice. Sometimes, we need to do that. Now, I want to I make sure we understand that your forgiveness from God is not contingent on you making restitution with, with human beings. I don't believe those things are connected. But I believe as a saved person who has the Holy Spirit in you, that He may start to deal with you on these things. He may start to prompt you in some of, these, some of these areas. You're doing it not to receive forgiveness. You're doing it because it's the right thing to do and because you're striving to be like your heavenly Father. And listen, here's what I want you to know. Anytime you follow the Scripture, anytime you follow the Word of God, it's going to produce freedom, life, joy in your life from where you're sitting you may think oh that that's going to cost me that's going to be painful i don't i don't know if i can do that i don't know if i want to do that listen anytime you walk out the word of god it's going to produce tremendous results in your life you will be so grateful and so thankful that you followed that and not only that there's a blessing that will come on your life that in, in the long run, there's a blessing that will come on your life way more than if you tried to keep that in your, in your life and tried to hold on to that which wasn't yours. To hold on to that which God sees as not yours. And we need the blessing of God on our lives. Amen? Amen. Last scripture I want to read to you this morning. Psalm chapter 133 verse 1. It says, Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head, running down on the beard on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. For there, where, there, which is at the place of unity, where there is unity, for there the Lord has commanded the blessing life forevermore. God loves unity. God loves to see brothers and sisters dwelling in unity. Why do you think the scripture says that God hates divorce? Because it's the opposite. It's a ripping apart. It's the things that we see in broken relationships, they're all the fruit, the things that come from Satan, the things that come from the pit of hell. Division, offense, strife, Gossip, 
contention, all of these things. None of these things are going to be present in heaven. They're all things that come from hell, that come from sin. And so at that place of unity, where, where you see brothers and sisters dwelling in unity, despite their differences, despite problems, despite having to overlook something you said or they said or something you did or did, despite all of that, dwelling in unity and peace with one another. He said, at that place, the Lord has commanded the blessing. And this is one of the reasons why we strive and require this in our church. We do not allow strife, division, gossip, offense in our church. If we see it, we deal with it. We call the people together. We bring them in. We talk. We deal with it. We don't allow it to just fester and grow in our church. Why? Because it's at the place of unity where God has commanded the blessing. And it ought not be present in the, the strife and all of that ought not be present among the people of God. We ought to be quick to deal with it, quick to reconcile, quick to forgive, quick to repent, quick to make restitution where needed. So let me just ask you these questions. If you're taking notes, you can write them down. I think you ought to ask yourself these questions in, in contemplation of this sermon. Number one, is there anyone in my life that I have unforgiveness towards? Is there anyone in my life that I have unforgiveness towards? Number two, is there anyone who may have unforgiveness towards me? See, that was that scripture in Matthew where Jesus said, it's not enough if you have unforgiveness. You need to know if anybody else has anything towards you that maybe you can be a part of their reconciliation. You can be a part of their healing by going to them. Is there anyone who may have unforgiveness towards me? Number three, is God asking me to reconcile with them in some way? Is he asking me to reach out? Is he asking me to send a letter? Is he asking me to send a text? Is he asking me to make a phone call? Is God asking me to reconcile with them in some way? And number four, is there anyone that I owe restitution to and should make steps to repay for the wrong that I have done? This ought to be a very serious and legitimate question that we consider as part of our repentance and reconciliation. Now remember, we're talking about in this series the path of a fresh start. That's why we're talking about this. This isn't to point a finger and go, well, you owe them. You know, go, go do this and take care of your responsibility. It's not about that. I, I want you, God wants you to have a fresh start. But in order to do that, we have to follow the laws and the rules that he's laid out in Scripture. And I can promise you, you're going to be way better off doing it his way than you are doing it your way. Through that, that submission and that repentance, you're going to see the blessing of God come on these situations and, and come on these relationships. And you're going to begin to experience that fresh start that God has for you. Let's stand on our feet this morning.